As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Firewall, current president at Zenimax Online Studios. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Matt Fyro. Nice to meet you and welcome to the show. Greetings, it's good to be here. How's your time in Australia been so far? Uh, it's great. I was in uh, uh, Auckland, New Zealand last weekend for Armageddon. Oh, yes. And, uh, and did, some, uh, did a presentation there and got to see that. And then I uh, went to Sydney to the Bethesda office there yep. for a few days and now I'm in Melbourne. So, so was this your first trip to Australia? First Damn. trip. Totally my first time south of the equator. Oh, okay. Yeah. Crazy. So what have you made of it so far? It's 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 and just been great. Stay? Do you get a bit of time beyond No, I'm going home tomorrow, but I've been gone for twelve days, so Oh yeah, okay. That's that's, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a long time uh, we have friends and family yeah, and all those sorts of it, things. Exactly. But no, it's a it's a wonderful part of the world. It feels right at home. Pax has treated you well? Yes, absolutely. It's a, a good vibe here. Good to hear. So the whole idea of dev diary is that we speak to developers about their history and uh, what they've been through to get to the point that they're currently at. And you've got a fairly lengthy history. Uh, and <laughs> How much la- time do you have? <laughs> largely centred around, well, I think 20, 25 minutes, correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's largely centred around uh, essentially multiplayer RPGs. Yep. Um, so where did it all begin? And was was and I'm thinking even before the actual development side of things, was there a game that kind of inspired you to get into the industry? What was your first game? Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, uh, boy, I guess the best place to start is that... Uh, um, I was raised in a very remote part of the United States where uh, we didn't have television or, or okay. anything. So, uh, but um, my parents got me. This is in the late seventies. Uh, my grandparents and parents got me a uh, um, a TRS eighty computer, yep. which is a uh, old Stone Age for those that are listening. Yeah, for those of you unfamiliar. <laughs> and um, so back then, if you wanted software, you ordered it from a catalog company and it came printed and you typed in the, oh, yeah, the, okay. the source yeah. code, the basic, it was in basic. And so I, I subscribed to one of these things and it would come and it would have like general use software, but it would also have a lot of games. And so I would just type the games in and then play them. And these are things like Hammurabi and, and yep. uh, like old, old, old school uh, Oregon Trail, yes. like games that have been around forever. And that got me interested in it. And then um, I became more and more interested. And then when I was in high school, the um, the elementary school in my area paid me to write a series of games for elementary school kids to, that, are, that were reading a series of books, and the game was kind of tied into the books. That was in like 1985, I think. And, and that was that was, kind of the moment that inspired you to maybe pursue yeah, that path? Yeah, it was, uh, and that was the first time I got paid to make a game. That makes a bit of a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think where it really started was when I went to college and um, a bunch of friends of mine were playing this uh, multi-user game called Scepter of Goth. Yep. Which which you would can you would call a mud now? Yeah. Um, it wasn't really a mud. I think uh, the guy that did Scepter of Goth was with Richard Bartle, and uh, back when he invented mud, and then kind of split off and did his own thing. We we didn't know any of this. We were just playing this yeah, game, and, and we were spending a lot. Of, and... Yeah, we were spending a lot of money playing it because it was like three dollars an hour or, or yeah, something okay. to play. This is a long long time ago. Make it the was, investment worth it. And it was multi user <laughs> because it was uh, this guy, the pe- person that hosted the the game had. Um, 12 modems installed in their house and that you could have 12 players yeah, okay. and so and of course it was all on phone modems anyway 
we decided we would like to, to license that game and put it in another American city in Atlanta where a friend of ours was going to college. And we got, we did it, we licensed it. You know, we were just a bunch of college yeah. kids. And uh, um, we got the server, which was an IBM PCXT. This is, again, a long time ago. And we wrote our own world in, in, in the Scepter software. And just as we were about to publish it, the company that we licensed it from went out of business. And so we lost oh, it completely. And uh, with some tense negotiation, we got our money back. And we just decided, well, let's just do it ourselves. How hard can it be? And is this where um, Interesting Systems was? That was, that, was that yes. That, that? Yeah. That, that's where this started. Wow, you did your research. <laughs> uh, I've done my time. I'm sure <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, and we just- I, just, didn't mean, I didn't mean to upset you with that. <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, I was just trying to think that's, yeah, that's that's what it was. And that was the four of us were just like, we'll just write our own. How hard can it be? We never heard of MUD. We never really heard of the game industry. We just knew we wanted to make a this game like Scepter of Goth. And we did it all through the late 80s. And I think it launched in, in 89 or 90 or something like that. And uh, it was called Tempest yeah. at first until we got a nice friendly letter from the uh, executives and uh, lawyers at Microsoft saying, hey, we own that property already uh, because there's an arcade game and uh, so we changed it to Darkness Falls and it, it that became a game that ran in the Washington DC area for for more than a few years and it led us to meet the company that we then merged with to become Mythic Mythic. Entertainment and that same code base that we did for Tempest slash Darkness Falls was the server code for Dark Age of Camelot so it just kind of evolved they over played time into one another yeah. and became yeah. this yeah um, so the well, at least according to the numbers and maybe feel free to clarify uh, it was about 13, 14 years ISI before it became Mythic, so 1995? Yeah, right? I think, uh, yeah, it was about right, yeah, 94, sort of 95. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mythic was called something different back then, but it changed names yeah. in 97. So it became Mythic, and I was there until 2006. Fantastic, and yeah. that's that leads to where we are now. Yeah. So on the on those Mythic days, you went uh, through a few different titles, VP of Development, yeah. Executive Producer. Um, what were some of the highlights of that of that period? Well, the biggest one, obviously, was releases. There's yeah, I mean, we started with I think four, five, six employees, and then ended up, you know, with a big major company yeah. by the end. Uh, the biggest highlight was obviously Dark Age of Camelot, which yeah. was a uh, Generation Two MMO that launched in two thousand one. Had so some legs. It had it had some legs. It's still running <laughs> yeah. today, um, uh, which what is run by one. Pride that it's still. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's run yeah. by a company called Broadsword, which is one of the original Mythic guys, Rob Dan's yeah, okay. company. So, uh, and it has a lot of the original devs, and it's it's, it's great. I, I peek into it every now and again. But uh, no, it's uh, Dark Age Camelot was a great game. Um, it was really influential on game industry. Like, yeah. I, it, w it didn't really make it out to the public consciousness too much. Yes. But many, many game developers have come up to me over the years and, and say how they played it, and it was definitely a point of reference. Uh, were there any? challenges and lowlights throughout that period there or either period obviously ISI or, or Mythic there yeah I think I think the challenges there were we were so small and the industry was so small back then and we we had only done online games yeah. and online games in the 90s there was no market no money no no nothing it wasn't until Ultima Online came along that ever and then EverQuest that just blew the doors off everything so yeah, it was it was tough to find you know investment, and we had a little, couple local companies. This company called Kesmai, which was near us in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, which ended up being bought by News Corp, yep. and uh, they published a lot of our games. And so there there was an industry there, but it was it was very very small. Yeah, bare bones, and yeah. really learning to yeah. find its way. Yeah. Um, and then you spoke about obviously 2006. You you left, and you're now. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I took a year off and then uh, um, got a call just, from Bethesda. Was that a little bit of burnout or just needed to get a little just, bit of time away, yeah, those sorts of things? Yeah, get some time off and uh, uh, just kind of reset a little bit. I, I did some industry consulting for, for, for different companies. Oh, okay. And, uh, but then 
um, Zenimax slash Bethesda called me and in 2007 and said, hey, we got this great idea. Let's make a, a multiplayer or online Elder Scrolls game. And I was like, that sounds great. So how did the development go for you? Obviously, you and the team. Like, how, was the, how was that whole process? Because obviously, at that point, you know, Elder Scrolls is a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, that was we the peak that was, or the big peak as far as people think Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. It was but 2007. Yeah. So it was only... 15 months after Oblivion, yeah, Oblivion launched. Fallout 3 hadn't launched yeah. yet, and it was it was a long time ago. It's hard to hard to think about that. But, yeah, it was still a big deal because yeah. Oblivion was huge. And then, of course, Skyrim came along, yeah. and then it became a household name. Yeah. And then, uh, so, I think the the challenge in those early yeah. days was... The challenge almost gets greater and greater. <laughs> it did. As the, it the did. IP just continued to grow. Yeah. And uh, our, our challenge was, of course, delivering on the promise of the IP, but also building a studio... Uh, getting the right people in, yeah. uh, making the right game, and that that was from 2007 to 2013. That was pretty much what what we did. And so the game of uh, oh jeez, I've lost track. What was the release date for the the original base, base 2014, version of the game in the end? April yeah, so, 4th. So uh, 2014. Etched in the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's obviously been through some iterations. We've seen lots yep. of um, expansions. What's some, been some of your highlights of the whole process of putting putting that game? game well, game, I, yeah. The whole history of Elder Scrolls Online is uh, shows what a on, uh, ongoing game, you know, the term game as a service get, gets yeah. thrown out. But basically it's a game that, that's ongoing, that's online. It really shows um, what you can do to react to market forces, uh, player feedback, uh, our own our own feedback. And really, when ESO launched, it only launched on PC, the great majority of Elder Scrolls players are at the time on console, because yeah. um, Skyrim was, was yeah, huge on console. And uh, we had a whole lot of feedback that like, hey, this game's okay, but we, we'd really like, this is from the community, we'd really like it to be more Elder Scrolls-y, less, less uh, forced questing. Yeah, okay. um, players were separated a lot by, uh, by a design decision we made. Um, to allow players to change the world, which meant if I had done that already in the world had changed and I was grouping with you yeah. and uh, you hadn't yet done that quest, we couldn't see each the, other because we were in different parts of the world. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. So we had to There's remove pros and cons. Yeah. yeah. So we, uh, we ended up that whole year between PC uh, launch and console launch reacting to this feedback and... Um, uh, doing a whole lot of changes to the game to make it feel more Elder Scrolls. We added the outlaw system yep. where you could steal and murder yes. and uh, and fence goods, and uh, you didn't need to be a que- you didn't need to go on a quest to do that. You could just it's go just out part and do of what it. You do. Yeah, we did uh, the champion system, which lets you uh, um, make your character better over time and not just to level fifty. And then after and that and then we launched on console and then it was huge then because we'd hit that right that right mood of this is what the game should feel like and then we didn't stop changing it of course we uh, uh, we did a whole lot of stuff culminating in one Tamriel which was in the yeah. end of 2016 where we just kind of dropped the whole idea of levels because if you think about it player levels it's really a, it a thing from Dungeons and Dragons like 30 yeah. years ago and uh, you know and it led to some very grindy MMO EverQuest type systems tropes and really it doesn't really matter you just drop in the game and have fun like when was the last time you worried about your level in Grand Theft Auto right you just drop in couldn't care less yeah you just drop in and play and so we wanted to apply that same philosophy to I just drop in and play I make very few decisions in the beginning but I learn when I play the game what to do and by dropping levels um, you could play with anyone anytime guilds could recruit players anywhere it really dropped a lot of barriers to player socialization yeah, that, that was that was something for me because I, I picked up the game at launch or very very close to it anyway. It was certainly within the first month or mm-hmm. so, 
Um, and yeah, that certainly was something of, oh, because I have a few friends that were really, really deep into MMOs mm-hmm. and I was not so much um, and was certainly coming in for the, the Elder Scrolls name first and foremost. Um, and they're, they're sinking dozens more hours per week into this thing than I could and I'm just finding um, that gap was just getting greater yeah you couldn't keep up and and then you couldn't play with them anymore Um, and so I thought that was actually a a brilliant move when the uh, when it came along Um, there's obviously been several expansions over the journey since where's you won't be able to probably spill the beans too much here where do do you see things going with the project going forward well we've hit a good cadence now Somerset's the most recent one yeah Somerset yeah in uh Last year, we started this concept of chapters um, with Morrowind. And there's a reason why we call them chapters and not expansions. It's not a marketing thing. It's, uh, you know, everyone's like, why don't you just call them expansions? Uh, They're called chapters because, again, we don't have levels. And when you think the word expansion, you think EverQuest, World of Warcraft, where you got to grind up to level level 120. And then then, then you can access. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. And, And the fun doesn't start in ESO at level X. It's, it's right from the, beginning. from the beginning. So the chapters are actually have their own tutorial, and a new players are encouraged to play those from the beginning. Why not? Yeah, okay. Right? Just and jumping so with everyone else. That's why they're called chapters. Anyway, um, we started that last year, and we hit on this really cool cadence of a chapter, which is a big kind of beefy 30 to 40 hour questing and new systems thing, two dungeon DLCs, and a story DLC. And that gives yep. us, that's per year, and that gives us. Uh, the dungeon DLCs are for people that love co-op multiplayer, and there are a lot of them out yeah. there that just love to go in and do pick up with dungeons or with their or, guild, yeah. with their friends. Um, the, there's a big, big community of that in ESO. The smaller DLCs are great because it gets us. We get to highlight a part of Tamriel, which we wouldn't necessarily uh, apply a major chapter to, like yep. Clockwork City or you know, or Merkmire, which yep. just which just launched. These are some incremental sort of. Yeah, things it's just kind of a, a quick a quick look into something yeah. something really cool and interesting, but uh, but not enough time for a full chapter. And then of course the chapter. So we've been doing this for two years now, and it's gone over really well. And I see no reason to change just that. Just continue that cycle yeah. over the course of the next few years. So. What have been some of the bigger lessons that you've learned over the, your entire development period, maybe more recently, maybe? What, what are some of the things you've learned along the way that have informed the direction that you have gone? Because you've gradually, within yeah, each chapter, I'd, I'd say, you've kind of moved up. You know, it depends on the ways. genre of game and the kind of business that your game's in, but certainly in the games like Dark Age Camelot and, and ESO, I think the thing I've learned is don't be afraid to take risks if yeah. you're if you're if you understand the game and the community understands the game and everybody's conclusions are leading to down a certain path that's probably the probably right thing to do to yeah and i think if you look back on uh the development history of eso you'll see we are not afraid to make changes if we think changes need yeah. to be made and, no, I, that, and that and that we learned that that wasn't a philosophy we had coming in what have been some of the hardest lessons or the hardest thing, maybe pills to swallow, things that have gone right, wrong otherwise, and you've had to respond to those? Yeah, so I think the the biggest one there is, um, and everyone always says this, and everyone always doesn't really realize what it is until it actually happens, is that uh, no game uh, system ever uh, makes contact with a player base uh fully intact (laughs) because you know we have all these preconceived notions about oh yeah the players are just gonna go in they're gonna love this no no it's not not necessarily true that you're shaking up their favorite aspect or something like that. yeah and it's just you need to look at it without emotion and without what you want like what you want is what you launched (laughs) and now it's what everybody wants and that's and that's the the hard lesson that has to be learned and, and how do you go about, like, because, the, yeah, there'd be a lot going on in your head. How do you sit down and go through that process of determining what do I, what do I want versus what do I think is best for the game, what versus what do I think is 
what the community is looking for. So there is wanting. a, yeah, we, the, we again. Actually, you probably not even think because they're giving you that feedback. What are they? So yeah, we, so we learned this over time. This, this is what we do now. It's not yeah. necessarily what we did right after launch, although we started the process then. We basically have three different things we look at. One is direct player feedback, like absolutely what are players saying. Yeah. One is what we think we should do as developers and players because, of course, we play the game. And the third is um, the metrics and the data that we get from that that are generated when players play so we actually see exactly what they're doing not yep. necessarily what they say they're doing and it's yeah, different okay. it's different yeah, sometimes yeah. so by triangulating the three things like here's our vision here's what we think should happen here's what the players are saying and here's what they're actually, actually doing, doing by putting those together we we generally can come up with an idea of at least what the problem is, if not the solution. It's interesting how you, yeah, you're looking at that what, what they say versus what they yeah, do, and that's, yeah. that's an important thing. So there is that disconnect there in, yeah. in a whole bunch of aspects of the games industry, not just yes, a single game. Absolutely. Um, so what are some of your most, tre- I guess, treasured memories, again, across the whole journey? What, what are some of the real highlights? Across well, the, 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 the launch of a particular <laughs> game or something going gold or... Yeah, we just did a, a panel discussion uh, with uh, Pete Hines and Tim yeah. Wallace and I, and, and they, a similar question was asked, and I'll, I'll definitely say the same thing I said there, which was the moment the live game opened... Um, I, I took my character, who I still play, yeah. uh, and went to the middle of Daggerfall City, which is one of the starter towns, and uh, did slash sit, which is in a, in a mode that we have where if you type it, your a, ch- a, a chair appears under your character, and you just kind of yeah. sit. You just kind of sit. Yeah. And I sat in the middle of town and just, just watched, p- just watched players run through the world for the first time. And it was like, as as one of the creators of the world, you know, there is no more profound moment that to see other people find seeing the world that you've been working on for so long. You have an obvious username that people might have recognized as that was Scooby No, no, no. No, no. And we play all the time. Yeah. Uh, all all Zoss people, all ZeniMax yeah. Online employees. And uh, um, we have a very firm rule that you never identify yourself as a, yeah. as a so who it's knows? Probably, you know? a, probably a safe path, I'd say. Yeah, the people listening, you know, if you run dungeons or you, uh, you're you in po- PvP. you possibly played with him already. You're probably playing with one of us. That's That's pretty awesome. So where do you th- see things going from here? Not just in terms of the game, because obviously we spoke about the cycles and yep. what's going to continue there, but uh, in terms of you and your career, and where, where do you see things heading from here? Well, I think uh, for, as far as ESO goes, you know, these kind of games can have extremely long legs, yeah. um, and I think uh, we'll keep making content and uh, doing fun things in ESO for as long as people are going to play it. Um, we're already playing next year's content internally because it takes a long time to make. And the year after that, we're already working on design. And the year after that, we're pretty sure what we're going to do. There we go. So this thing's still got legs. Yeah, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're all in on this. Um, as far as I go, um, you know, we're, uh, we're always looking for new, new and interesting things to do. Um, we've proven kind of that the, th- the storytelling slash uh, tech expertise that we have at Sauce is, is, is pretty good. So, so I'm sure eventually we're going to want to work on new things too. Well, that's fantastic. Um, where can you fan online? Uh, you want to go to elderscrollsonline.com. That's probably, probably the safest way to go. Yeah, yeah. Provide your feedback. Yep, yep. If you're uh, interested in Zenimax Online, you can go to zenimaxonline.com. Well, Matt, thank you very much for your time. Thank My you for pleasure. sharing your story today. Yeah. It was nice meeting you. Thank you. It's good to be that's here. That's it. Thank you very much. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to and interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Matt Firewall's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.